0: Well, welcome back, queens. This time, we have a dynamic duo of Wendy Sterling and Casey Crosby. So I'm going to read their their awesome bios, and we'll jump into the questions. So Wendy Sterling is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and approved supervisor through um, IADEP and board-certified specialists in sports dietetics in the Bay Area in California. She specializes in sports nutrition and eating disorders and has a private practice in Menlo Park and Los Altos, California. Wendy is co-author of How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder, A Simple Plate-by-Plate Approach to Reestablishing a Healthy Relationship with Food. And I do have to say that is my go-to for any adolescent um, client that I work with. She and her colleague, Casey Crosby, created the innovative approach to refeeding called the Plate-by-Plate Approach a non-numbers visual approach which has been featured in the Journal of Nutrition and Dietetics in an article entitled The Use of Plate-by-Plate Approach for Adolescents Undergoing Family-Based Treatment. For tips and support on building good plates for nutrition rehabilitation for the treatment eating disorders, be sure to follow them on Instagram at plate-by-plate approach, and we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. She is also the co-author of No Way, A Teen's Guide to Body Image, Food, and Emotional Wisdom, a book co-written by an adolescent Dr. Um, um Shelly Ag uh Shelly is the doctor and Signa
1: Dart is the LMFT and certified eating disorder specialist.
0: Thank you. Got it. Um and herself is a dietitian for teens about their changing bodies, hormones, emotions, and tips for improving sleep, body image, and the relationship with food. And again, that's a book that I've read and I loved. The fact that especially for adolescents that may not know the words to put with that, it does a great job of kind of prompting journaling and putting it in a way that's more relatable for our um, younger um, individuals. Wendy has been the team nutritionist at Oakland Athletics since 2016, and she's consulted for the Golden State Warriors, New York Jets, boo, just kidding, uh, New York Islanders, (laughs) and (laughs) Hofstra University, women's lacrosse and volleyball teams, where she's worked directly with players to improve endurance, speed, and explosiveness. Wendy has also worked closely with Manoa School since 2014, where she developed a sports nutrition curriculum for the athletics program and has consulted for the Santa Clara Aquamaids synchronized swim team. She is a sports performance nutrition consultant for a variety of sport agencies where she helps athletes achieve peak performance for the NBA and NFL combine. Wendy's part of the United States Olympic Committee Sports Dietitian Registry, and she works closely with competitive athletes in order to enhance sports performance and gain a competitive edge. Wendy also worked at the Healthy Teen Project, an intensive outpatient program and partial hospitalization program for teens struggling with eating disorders. Wendy provided nutrition counseling to children and adolescents in the Eating Disorder Center at Cohen's Children's Medical Center of New York. There, she worked as a part of a multidisciplinary team evaluating and treating the spectrum of eating disorders and disorder eating. She's conducted research in areas Research in areas of amenorrhea, osteoporosis, metabolism on adolescents with eating disorders, and her publications can be found. We'll put those in the show notes as well. She's on the clinical advisory board of Project HEAL, which is a nonprofit organization created to aid in the funding for treatment of eating disorders. And Wendy received her degree from Cornell University, as well as her master's degree in nutrition education from Teachers College. Wendy also was a former competitive dancer and All-American cheerleader. And for Casey, she is a registered dietitian and board-certified sports specialist, so you can see dynamic duo. She currently serves as Director of Nutrition Services for the Healthy Team Project and co-author of the book, How to Nourish Your Child, um, which we're going to talk about more with the simple plate-by-plate approach. She has published three scholarly articles, including the use of plate-by-plate approach for adolescents, Casey uh, previously served as lead dietitian for the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Comprehensive Care Program for Eating Disorders at Stanford. Whoo, You guys are some pretty <laughs> badass women. <laughs> thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you, Becca. And thank you for having us today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thank
0: you so much. So I'm a big fan of the work, and that's why I wanted to have you guys on because – In a world that is so obsessed with numbers, it's like we've just forgotten how to gather around the table and make our plates. And so um, I generally try to work my clients into this approach. And I would love for you guys to speak why you feel this is a more healthier way to approach meal planning.
2: Uh, Sure, I can start. This is Casey. Um, So one of the um, issues that we constantly come up against in not only our society, but specifically in our work with eating uh, with uh, individuals with eating disorders, is a hyper focus on numbers and exactness. Um, we we hear from our clients all the time that they want to know exactly how much to measure out a specific food item, or exactly how many calories they need. Um, to either fuel their body for sport, or to gain weight if they need to gain weight for uh, eating disorder treatment, um, or to maintain weight. And what we know about um, the human body is that it's not exact. In fact, it's really more of an art than a science. <laughs> and eating just doesn't need to involve numbers and specifics. I always say, unless you're baking, you know, something from a recipe that is actually science based, and you do pretty much have to follow the recipe when you're baking something for it to work out most of the time but when you're cooking and you're you know preparing meals you're taking snacks on the road you're fueling your body it it is a lot less numbers focused you can find balance and variety and really normalcy by thinking more globally about what you're eating and a little bit more generally about your what you're eating and that allows space To find out what you like the taste of, the social aspects of eating, who you like to eat with, what conversations you like to have over a meal. And it adds back the fun and the enjoyment in eating, which gets lost when you're really focused on the minutia.
0: I love that. And I love that. Kind of comparing it to a recipe, because even then, if you're baking, for example, you'll have to adjust to elevation or temperature in the kitchen. So then that kind of bridges that intuitive eating part along with how you make the the plate.
2: Exactly.
0: Great. So how can one kind of change how they're approaching the plate? Can you guys talk about kind of some of the guidelines that you give and then how they can adjust according to goals, um, you know, specifically like athletes? Yeah, you know, the
1: plate by plate approach is something that we developed for those that are following um, eating disorder treatment. But it's interesting because It's something that we use all the time in many different settings, including for athletes without eating disorders. Um, And it's really very intuitive and makes just a lot of sense. And so roughly what we're really guiding uh, people to do is to take a plate and we we are telling our eating disorder folks to take a 10 inch plate, but if it was an athlete, it, it might not matter specifically. Um, but we're we're really starting with a 10 inch plate, and we're asking them to on that plate fill up all uh, fill the plate up and use all food groups. Uh, make sure all food groups are present so that there is carbohydrates, there's proteins, there's vegetables or fruits present, there's dairy, and then there's some uh, source of fat. And then on that plate too, uh, typically um, we're doing half of that plate that's coming from carbohydrates, um, which um, is is like that in eating disorder treatment, because if you think about what sometimes some of those uh patients might be doing. A lot of times we see plates that are half plates coming from fruits and vegetables, which is not necessarily caloric enough to help them with the task of refeeding and also causes a lot of GI distress, um, which can be hurting their stomach or causing a lot of bloating. Um, and so we ask for half the plate to be carbohydrate, a quarter of the plate to be protein, and a quarter of the plate Um, to be coming from fruits or vegetables, which is a a bit of a switch from what sometimes some of our patients are used to with some dairy and some fats. And also for athletes, that makes a lot of sense, too, because really most athletes need about 50 to 60 percent if not more, um, of their diet coming from carbohydrate. And so that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, we also have a different version of the plate, which might be a third of the plate coming from carbohydrate. And that just depends on what the athlete or the patient's nutritional requirements are um, at the time. Um, do they need weight restoration? Are they at weight maintenance? Are they um, you know, transitioning off of a weight gain protocol down to sort of more of a weight maintenance protocol? Um, and so we have different versions of how they're filling up their plate. Um, we are also then figuring out with this plate by plate approach, how many meals and snacks the person is then going to require. Of course, they're going to have three meals, but then how many snacks are they going to need, um, minimum would be two. So three meals, two snacks, and then are they going to need a third snack? Um, certainly if they're training, the answer would most likely be yes, um, and then what does that snack look like? Is that a two-item snack? Is that a three-item snack? Is that a four item snack? Um and then typically we say that snack would be comprised of several different food groups. So that the let's say it was like a two item snack, we would not be looking at carrots and an apple. We would want that to be you know, an apple and peanut butter or, you know, pretzels and hummus or, um, you know, chocolate and a banana or, you know, I'm just giving some random Mm -hmm. examples, a muffin and a glass of milk, uh, cookies and milk, um, you know, just a variety of different uh, types of foods present at the same time to make sure there's enough caloric density and variety. Um, Another step that's really important in this plate model is variety just in general and so we are really looking to make sure that the person is including a variety of different uh, nutrients overall. And so um, it's not just chicken every day, it's not just white rice or brown rice, it's not just bananas every day for breakfast or oatmeal every day for breakfast, that we are really looking for a fundamental principle in the, in the approach You know, is that there is variety at every meal and that really helps with exposure. If it's an eating disorder treatment, it really helps with um, getting in um, different foods and um, helping them get to their goal of food freedom. If it's an athlete that we're doing this with, let's say non-eating disordered athlete, then it really helps to get them just different nutrients. Chicken has different nutrients than red meat, right? Um, Bananas are high in potassium, but uh, don't have vitamin C that an orange has. And so, Mm and then making sure that the meal just in general makes sense. Um, and so that's basically the fundamentals. Case is there anything I missed or anything you wanna uh, add? Yeah, and then there's
2: the final review is one is our last step in this process where we really are focused, focusing on cohesiveness and how the plate looks. Um, a lot of our clients will patch together <laughs> a meal that follows all the steps Wendy listed. But the meal just doesn't make sense. There's a mishmash of foods from different cuisines, or they're throwing on a pile of nuts for the fat, but it doesn't make sense in the meal. And so we're really focusing on that final glance at the plate. Does it make sense? Does it feel cohesive and normal? And if all of those six steps have been followed, the plate model, the plate by plate approach works and it helps uh, a client get from breakfast to snack, to lunch, and so forth with meals that really help and support fueling their body.
0: Right. I love, like, <laughs> they become, like, the the macronutrient fillers. Like, okay, well, I've got beans. I could put beans here. Yep. And then I could put this here. <laughs> and you look, I'm like, would you, I always say, would you expect to get this at a restaurant? Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> let's try to have something that, that complements the, the taste together. So I really like how, that blends the pleasure component. So I'm curious, when you've transitioned clients that maybe have been on an exchange type plan or calorie counting, what are some of the things that they've said as they've moved into the plate approach? Oh,
2: that's that's such a great question. Um, well, it. Can be really easy, and it can also be really hard. It depends on who you're working with and what their experience has been. Um, one of the, the things that I often hear as a concern that clients have, if they've been on a very um, numbers-focused meal plan prior to starting our plate by plate approach, is that they're they're just They're scared of what it's like to break free of that and to let it go. It can become an exchange system or a calorie counting system can become a bit of a security blanket or a crutch. And so I often talk about bridging the gap between um, a very rigid meal plan and complete food freedom and food flexibility, which is the ultimate goal in the treatment of eating disorders and really should be the ultimate goal for everyone. To be able to have that food freedom is so healthy. And so, you know, wonderful and fun and kind of free. And so I talked about the plate-by-plate plate approach being the intermediate step, that it's still a tool, there's still some guidelines within it, but they're far less numbers-focused and far less rigid, and so they allow flexibility on the road to becoming truly a free food eater.
0: Look great, yeah. That's why I say you can take it to a potluck, you can take it to a restaurant, and you don't have to try to mm-hmm. pull out and calculate exchanges or figure out what the calories are. So, um, obviously, exactly. it makes life more doable.
2: It does, and and especially when we work with teens and kids with eating disorders, um, it's it's much easier for the parents. They are able to to really step in and help their kid learn how to eat using the plate by plate approach because they understand it too. It's not so details focused that they have the time and the space and the capacity to understand it and help their child eat.
0: Oh yeah, I can speak to when I've um, encouraged parents to read your guys's book that they're like, oh. This is so much less stressful than trying to have to figure out all the exchanges to pack for the lunch or to do for breakfast where, you know, they can just kind of trade out what that plate looks like. And then it's an easy segue when the adolescent starts to take over that then they've seen models of what a healthy plate should look like. And so they start to take over that responsibility.
2: That
1: yeah, and, to my ears. <laughs> yeah it, no, it, it, I totally agree. And, you know, I came from an exchange based program in New York. Um, I, I was there for a long time when I first started my career um, at a very large eating disorder center. And, you know, a lot of times you're boxed in with exchanges and, you know, like a tablespoon of fat, uh, a tablespoon of dressing, sorry, is considered a fat. And but, you know, the universe doesn't have a tablespoon of dressing on their salad. I mean, I for (laughs) sure don't, you know, and I remember being at the Healthy Team Project where Casey and I were working together. And when we were implementing the plate by plate approach and not doing exchanges and the client uh, said to me, how much dressing do I put on the salad? And I just said, you know, what looks good? she kind of looked at me like I was nuts, you know, and <laughs> she, she hesitated for a second. And she just was like, Okay, and then she's like, you know, poured on what looked good. And it's, you know, the ability to kind of just teach normalcy from mm-hmm. the beginning. If you didn't have, you know, if you didn't have a, a kind of preconceived rule, then you just never had that remnant of it's a tablespoon, or it's a half cup, or, you know, in your mind, because anyone, everyone knows that these exchanges are never meant to be forever anyway. And they're always meant to be transitioned off. But if they were never there in your head to begin with, then they're never lingering, you know, well after you're trying to come off them. And so when we transition people, you know, to, to kind of be in a recovered stage, it's just so seamless it really i think that's the our favorite part is that it's just not a struggle to kind of get them off the exchanges um and it's also not a struggle because they're just doing plates like Mm -hmm. it's like it's just the plate and i i've always found and i don't know casey if you've agreed you must see this at the healthy team project um a lot which is that sometimes these exchange plates they look funny to me (laughs) like they don't Mm -hmm. look they look small like they just don't look robust they don't look like more importantly, they don't look cohesive.
0: Right.
2: Right. Because it's really right. easy with the exchange system to mix and match, you know, a bunch of foods that are all measured out, but it doesn't make sense. The plate doesn't have to make sense.
0: Well, indeed. So that's one
2: of what that's actually my favorite step in our plate by plate approach is that last part. Is it cohesive? Does it look yummy? Is it normal? It's so important to teach uh, our clients that that piece.
0: Well, do you guys think because we have become such a society that wants to follow the recipe in rigid rules that we've kind of forgot like the intuitive cooking like grandma would have. We're like, "Oh, yeah. this this will taste good with this. Let's try it." And it seems like we've lost creativity in the kitchen.
1: Well, I Absolutely. I don't I, yeah. I don't think people know how to cook. Um and I I talk about that a lot. I do that work a lot actually with um, my mostly my older clients who I see um, I have a bunch of um, kind of young adults now some of whom just got married and I'm doing and I'm recovering from an eating disorder and they you know they just don't know what to do and so some of the nutrition work is actually like how do you make quick and easy, you know, recipes or food or food, really food that does not require an extensive amount of cooking. And one of my patients um, was telling me the story, and I think I posted a thing on Instagram. It was like one of my first Instagram post I didn't even know how to do Instagram (laughs) at the time (laughs) and if I and if I looking back if I could do it again I would have changed some things because I like posted this thing on asparagus and it was really funny because she was well it wasn't funny the story wasn't funny but basically she was telling me how she was like learning how to cook this was the different client and she was learning how to cook and she found this recipe and there was like 15 steps or something like that to make asparagus. I was like, whoa, wait a second, hold <laughs> on. To that. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't get it. Like, you just, olive oil, salt, pepper, you know, yeah, I think a right lot in of the oven. Just throw it in the oven. Like, you know, I am working full time. I've got two kids. I cannot be bothered with like extensive recipes when I am preparing my meals. And right. so I try to pass that along to people whenever possible. And I think we try to infuse that as well when we're posting things on our instagram for plate by plate like we posted something the other day with these like skewers from trader joe's Mm -hmm. and tortellini from costco and like throw it all together like you know this does not have to be complicated quick and easy parents are overwhelmed and
0: like people just need to get back in the kitchen and like cooking easy you know nothing complicated yeah and that's not taking it away by using you know, convenience foods have gotten such a bad rap, but it's such a widespread mm-hmm. term that it could just be yep. already made tortellini that you throw on a bed of pasta and vegetables and then do a cube of pesto sauce. And yeah, you use convenience totally. items, but that's still a nice, nutritious, yummy dinner. Well, convenience mm-hmm. foods have come a long way.
1: I mean, they—they they, mm-hmm. I think there are some really great things out there, too. Yeah.
0: Besides, you got to go to Trader Joe's to get your peanut butter cups. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the <laughs> or all the, the pumpkin things, right? right. Oh, those are <laughs> my favorite. You nailed it. Those are my favorites. <laughs> oh, well, I love it. So I'd like to hear from both you ladies. You're nice and busy just as I am. How do you balance the fit philosophy of continuing to perform, managing health, intellect, and taking a few minutes for self?
2: Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I can start if you want, Wendy. Sure.
0: So I also,
2: um, you know, work full time. I've got a private practice on the side. All of this book stuff is so fun for me. (laughs) It's really a a really fun kind of side hustle, as as people call it. Um, And I have a, a kid and a husband and life gets really, really busy. And one of the things that I really like to do is just simplify, simplify as much as I can. So that means Simplifying cooking, even if I'm doing, you know, a few of the same recipes every week, there are things that I really like to cook and to eat, and my husband loves them and my kid loves them. Um, making sure to just get outside every day, even if it's not formal exercise, it's a walk around the neighborhood or, a, you know, a lunch, on a lunch break I'm walking around, um, and making sure to laugh and have fun with my family and my friends and, and, and to be social. Those things really make me feel fulfilled. Um, and from a professional standpoint, I love what I do. It, it really is what I do never feels like a job. And that's, I think, one of the, the best parts about this work is that it's rewarding, it's fun, it's creative. It, it really stretches my my limits professionally um, and intellectually. And I, I just love it. And that makes me feel like I have a, have the balance.
1: Great. Great. Um, yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I, as well, love what I do and find a job you love and never work a day in your life. And mm. I seriously feel super, super blessed um, to just love it. Like all aspects of whether I'm with clients or, you know, writing or just, you know, playing around on Instagram lately, or just kind of whatever it is. Um, And so I feel like that really does fuel me and excite me and and keep me engaged and and motivated. And I I love that. Um, But I I am aware that I do want to, you know, have fun as well. And so I am very lucky to have a family. And so we, you know, I, I really do try to not work on the weekends and not work at night, and so I set those boundaries as much as I can when I can um, to do that. And we try to play with my kids. We try to go hiking and you know go for a walk. And we love the outdoors. And I love to cook, and I certainly love to cook with my kids. I try to get them in the kitchen and with me as much as possible. Um, I love to go out with my friends when I can grab a friend here and there. Um, and so I feel like I'm still evolving in that area and looking for other you know outlets um but i think that's a, a work in progress but i think oh <laughs> and also sleep is a very big priority i am oh yeah that's it's a, a good one <laughs> very very big priority to me is to try to just make sure i'm in bed and getting enough um enough sleep um i've always been that way and i definitely need my sleep my husband does too <laughs> <That's a big laughs>
0: Well, and I love the fact that you guys, women, you women collaborate together and do things together. I think that helps with that sense of not being alone and being able to, Mm -hmm. you know, share ideas, share struggles. And so you kind of you guys have been a good role model.
2: Oh, thank you. It, (laughs) It really is fun.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm going to put both books along with um, the Instagram for the plate by plate approach and encourage anybody that's listening to share your plates. I love being able to use it for my clients to be like, just, just go and look, get some inspiration, um, look at how it compares to yours. So we need you out there to help um, tag them and help them fill up that, that Instagram account as well. So <laughs> you guys thank have you. a great rest of your day and I, hopefully I'll be running to you in some conferences soon that be
2: Thank great. Thank you. Actually, yeah. Thanks so Thanks much for having, having
0: us today. Us. You bet. Bye, guys. Today's episode is brought to you by yours truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as RED-S, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook,
2: Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on
1: iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.